The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. Uh, since we changed software here, things are just so f- much more complicated than they ever have been. And uh, we're trying to just uh, wade through this. I mean, it's kind of cool. You've seen some of the graphics that we now have access to. Um, the only other thing I, I want to remind you of before we go to break and get our guest in here is that uh, we've got a great YouTube audience and a YouTube community. And if you're listening to this show as a podcast, thank you very much for doing that, by the way. We do appreciate our podcast base. It's a, it's a large uh, group of people that download the show every day, and thank you very much for doing that. But you should also swing by the YouTube channel and check out what we've got going on in YouTube because that's where we stream live. That's where our chat room is, and there's a lot going on there, plus about 500 back episodes. Go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson, and you will find the channel. Please subscribe. Our numbers are growing there, and we'd love to see those ticking up every day. So thank you so much if you've already subscribed. And if you haven't done that yet, we appreciate you doing that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we are uh, going to go to our guest line and bring in our good friend Scotty Roberts because I know Scotty always has something to talk about. Scotty, my friend, how are you with such in this last-minute uh, switcheroo here? How you doing? JV, I am doing great. Thank you for the minute the minute notice. I, I you know, that gives me some time to get warmed up. Do you really need any more than that, frankly? <laughs> Rarely ever, <laughs> I tell you. Um, so, so, you know, we didn't, obviously this wasn't planned, um, but I can think of right, no, no right. better person to, to grab in a pinch here uh, than you, because I, I know you're always working on something interesting. So if I throw it out, what are you working on these days? Well, let's see. I've got a, I've got a ton of things stacked up that I'm working on, but uh, I can say this. I've been going through a series on my own radio show about... Uh, now, I don't know where you stand on this, and some people get a little nervous about this stuff when you start introducing the topic, but I was looking into Christopaganism, and I was asking the question, uh, is there compatibility between Christianity and paganism? Hmm. Not because I'm a pagan, but because I used to be very Christian. And, uh, I mean, uh, I was a Baptist, fundamentalist, you know, conservative and I went to seminary, and I was in ministry, youth ministry, for a long time. And uh, um, so I was very dyed in the wool. And I started, along with all the other questions I had about things, I started looking into this whole question about, about why is there such a great divide between religions that are out there and right. spirituality. So I started digging into it. And it's not a study of how to be a better Christian or a better pagan or to do something. It was a study that I started asking people, why do you believe what you say you believe? And I say, if you're going to believe something and put your heart in it, do you know what you believe? 
And I started digging into paganism, digging into Christianity, giving overviews, looking at history, and finding, and I'll tell you, uh, this is the thing that threw me. As I was doing my own research, it seemed to me that I could, and now, I don't want to offend, offend anybody's sensibilities in your audience. I'm not telling anybody what to believe or how to believe. You choose your own spirituality and your own faith structure. But what I found historically, it's like if I'm going to put my faith in something, I need to know what it means. I need to know what it's about. And what I kept finding over and over again, every source I went, it seemed that Christianity that we know today was not the Christianity that existed for the first three to four hundred years after the time of Christ. And most of it was, it started off with the Gnostic mysteries and the mystery religions, and then it, it morphed its way eventually into the how the Orthodox believers uh, started taking over. They kind of won the fight there, and they started turning what was to be originally a mythological look at the Messiah character. And by mythology, I don't mean fake. I mean the, the mythology, the mysteries, and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And they started literalizing history. And when they did that, they completely changed the whole face of what it originally was. And uh, then the, the, the Orthodox Church, which didn't become the Roman Church, Roman Catholic, until after Constantine in the mid-300s, early 300s, really took over and made Christianity the state religion, and it became illegal to not be a Christian in Rome. And during the the interim years in there, the three and a half, a little over three centuries in there, they had been trying to, as the Orthodox Church took hold and started making things more literal, they started committing persecutions against the pagan religions and the, the, the pagan Christians, the Gnostic mystery Christians. And we didn't know anything about this stuff down through history, except for scant writings of them, until in the 1940s at uh, Nag Hammadi, they discovered, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, this whole cachet of old Gnostic religious writings that dated back to the time of Christ before and after. And uh, so it became, uh, this is the stuff I've been working on lately, and i got to tell you, sometimes you say, wait a minute, I'm challenging the things I say I used to believe, and thereby past tense, you can see I've already, there are some things I've had to just step away from, right. because I say, if, if I cannot provide factual evidence that this existed and worked, then how can I put faith into it? Faith is supposed to be, yes, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'm not an atheist by any means. I'm, I'm an agnostic, uh, meaning uh, gnostic, gnosis, knowledge, uh, ah, ah, knowledge is what it is. I have no real knowledge of what is true anymore with this stuff, other than the historical record says this. And how can you controvert the historical record with just simply faith. That doesn't, that doesn't cut it. 
And so uh, these are the things I've been digging into, and I could go as deep as you wanted me to go on that tonight, or I could just we could move on to another topic. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm you, you've piqued my curiosity here because you, having no time to prepare for this particular topic, you know, you're throwing words at me that I'm not even sure I understand the definition of or the meaning oh, of. So sure, sure. I want to back this up a little bit because I'm very curious about it. So if 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 there were pagan uh, Christians, or I can't even remember all of the the titles that you used. Um, yeah, and we found writings rather recently that 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 describe these beliefs and these ideas. How do they differ? What is the what is the 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 fulcrum here of difference between what we know as Christianity and what these sure. other versions of Christianity are? Well, well, in in Gnosticism. There was the the mysteries, they called it. They would draw people into the inner mysteries, the esoteric, if you will. And uh, But what they had on the outside, it was kind of a, a system that would draw people in and, and create an interest on the outer levels. They called it exoteric uh, mysteries. And people would ask questions and so on. And once they found that somebody was very interested, they would draw them in and ask if they wanted to be initiated into the deeper mysteries. Now, some of the things that, in, that were involved in this, think of it this way. Um, and, and you know this, and all of us know this to some extent. When you look at, like, December 25th as being the date of Jesus' birthday. Right. And uh, now we all know, really, if you've put any thought into it at all, that's probably not the date he was born. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, you look at the story in the Gospels, and you end up with what by where the shepherds were, close to the city, close to Bethlehem, and all of and all these other things seem to indicate that they were. It was around Passover time, which was April, but we don't know that for sure. Anyway, you start looking at that, and then you look at all the take out and bullet point all kinds of things about the life of Jesus as listed in the Bible. Uh, you know, born on December 25th, virgin birth, shepherds attending his birth, magi attending, a star in the sky. Then you go to his later life, walking on the water, healing the sick, raising the dead, uh, then death, burial, and resurrection uh, by crucifixion. Now, if I were to list all those bullet points to you, without saying who I was talking about, mm-hmm. you could come up with a go, oh, well, obviously, Scotty, that's Jesus. And I would say, yes, but did you know that that also, almost all of those different bullet points match up with at least 12 previous God-men types that were Messiah types that came under the names of Osiris, Dionysus, Mithras, all of these different gods, and they were god-men. And all those in the ancient mysteries knew them to be, there was something you had to pull out, there was the deeper mysteries, it was a mystery, it was a mythology that they knew that applied to all of these different god-men. Then Jesus comes along, and, and again, some people are going to be really rankled by this, but uh, that's the purpose. You've got to shake the foundation a little bit sometime to see where you stand. And Jesus comes along, and what does his followers do? His followers start ascribing to him all the same bullet points that you see in these other God-men in the Gnostic mysteries, because the mysteries were a religion that was spread all through the Middle East, 
and all up into Turkey and all up into the Mediterranean world. And the Jews themselves had done it. They had created the Jewish mysteries. And then now the Christians came along, and they needed to do the same thing with Jesus. They needed to apply all these things to him because the original believers were part of the Gnostic mysticism. And so they applied all these things to him. And it wasn't until the Orthodox believers started to use this as literalist history of Jesus. And so when you start putting, and I'm just giving it to you an ultra light here, but when you start looking at this stuff, the first thing I did, I sit back in my chair when I'm studying this stuff, and I go, you know, it's, it's the WTF moment about spirituality and religion. It's like, uh, okay, if this is so historically with Gnosticism, with mystery religions and all of this, then how did they arrive at Jesus being divine, Jesus being God, uh, all these different things about Jesus? Why, why do all these things apply to him that also applied to twelve, at least 12 other guys centuries before he was born? And you know what one of the explanations was? What? In the late first century, uh, second century, Justin Martyr, he was a church apologist, and he what he called all those previous god types, now he's within the Orthodox Church, which eventually became the Roman Catholic Church, and he said, you cannot believe that this is so, because here is what really happened. This was his explanation for it. He said, all of those previous gods that look like the same thing as Jesus and have all these bullet points that match, he said, they are what we call diabolical mimicry. It was Satan who raised them all up in order to confound the hearts and minds of men so that when the real God-man came, they would be confused. <laughs> and uh, my answer to that was always, well, if God is who God says God is, omnipresent, uh, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, the Creator, the one who controls everything off the tips of his fingers, he sees this happening with these godmen. Why couldn't he just say, oh, you know what? Diabolical mimicry. Satan's up to it again. I think I'll just reshuffle the deck and we'll do this a little different way so he doesn't confound my plan. Uh, but that's not what happened. And that's kind of a cynical uh, wow. uh, take, take on that. But you start you're looking getting, you're at You're getting this. crotchety. You're getting a little crotchety here. I... <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Um, and, uh, no, go ahead. So, ah, I was just going to go on with that and, and in the same vein and say, that's, that's the stuff I'm thinking about these days. And, and we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. But one of the things that I'm curious about is because, you know, we seem to keep getting more and more physical evidence, uh, whether it's archaeological evidence or in some ways it's uh, it's a quantum evidence or other scientific yeah. evidence that that some of the things, not all, everything, but some of the things that we've questioned about the Bible for a very, very long time, they're starting to we're starting to see some things that support these ideas very directly. Uh, does that change any of this for you? Or, I mean, how does that fit into this whole idea? Um, uh, how uh, how we're finding things that challenge the the nomenclature or the no no the... I I'm I'm saying we're finding things that are supporting what the Bible is telling us the accounts oh, yes. that are in the Bible we're finding things that support those accounts 
Uh, to, to me, yeah, I, I, I understand that uh, 100%, and I agree with you, because while you see that there are things that involve faith issues that are, we're finding out more history and more things that, that seem to make you want to think and dig a little deeper, you can find historical things in the Bible that you are, they, they've had uh, at least as of, I don't know when the date was, but I read in one of these journals a while back, at least 1,500 different points of history in the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament that had been verified by archaeology. Now, I, I have said all the way along, the Bible contains efficacious history. It's real history. You're finding that most of these writers of history didn't twist and, and, and dick with the history too much. But what you'll find is that that's a totally different story then the faith story, they wrap around it. And so they place their own faith stories on the historical events. Um, say, you know, something is simple, as, well, maybe it's not simple, but look at the Exodus. Um, if that is an historical event, the history of that event is one thing, but did God use miracles? Was right. God involved? Right. All of those kinds of questions start coming up. Scotty, do you know anything about Nostradamus? Uh, not very much. That's, you know, I've got a book of all his quatrains, but mm-hmm. and I've read some of them, and I go, bah, it's like reading Shakespeare, Yeah, uh, which I love Shakespeare, Yeah, but uh, I'd have to sit down and study, and I never have. I've heard lots of things back and forth, and boy, that's just too close to be a coincidence. Yeah. Well, I, I don't believe in coincidences, so and I do believe that there are people who are prophetic, I think maybe he was onto something or right, something. Let's pick up that conversation in our next hour. Right now, let's go to the phone lines, though. This is Joe in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. I'm glad you called or allowed my call to come I'm, in. I'm glad you I called, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Joe. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Okay. Uh, we're discussing the uh, validity, I guess you could say, about the Bible and the things that go on in the Bible. Yep. And, uh, whether to believe in well, I've been brought up in a religious home all my life, and uh, I listened. Uh, and a lot of times, I had to, I guess, sort of speak. My parents would be talking and saying, "You're going to church, whether he likes or not." So I'd go, and after a while, I, was, I, I liked it. I paid attention. I said that hey, it makes sense. So all through my life, I, I just paid attention to what was going on in the world, current events. And what I noticed that the Bible, its predictions, you would see it in current day events and things that were prophesized over 2000 years ago, you're seeing coming out in current events. And that's what kind of convinced me to think, Hey, wait a second. This isn't just a story. What I'm reading here, like when 1947, when the Jews returned to their Holy land, that was one of the signs prophesized over 2000 years ago that before the second coming of Jesus Christ, that the Jews would return to their homeland, which they did in 1947. And I said, do you call that a coincidence? <laughs> you know? right. What are your yeah, thoughts, there's, there's a couple of things about that um, that, uh, for, that I looked into, and I was very much in the conservative Baptist fundamentalist setting. Um, I wasn't raised there, by the way. I joined it by choice. I became a born-again Christian when I was 11. And uh, much to my agnostic family's chagrin, I became like the Alex Keaton of my family. You know, the, the white shirt, tie-wearing conservative who went to church all the time. My mom told me when I was a teenager, she said, I wish you would just swear once in a while so I would know you were normal. 
And uh, I mean, this is the this is the way I, I, I let myself be uh, inculcated into belief system. And eschatology was one of the big things, the study of end times. Now, there's something very interesting about this that you've got to use as a backup. Uh, remember, you were talking, when you look at, like, the writings of Paul in the New Testament, he talks about how the end times are coming, the second coming is on us, and all of this is imminent, it's returning. That's because in their day, they actually believed that the second coming of Jesus was going to be in their lifetimes. And they were a bit chagrined by the beginning of the second century that this hadn't happened yet. And uh, one thing you'll find, there, were, there are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, what's interesting is that there were about 70 to 75 Gospels that exist. And a lot of them were uncovered in the, the findings at Nag Hammadi in the mid-40s. And these other Gospels, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mattathias, the Gospel of James, the brother of Jesus, the Gospel of so on and so on and so on, the Gospel of Mary even existed, Mary Magdalene. And uh, all of these things were things that during the Council of Nicaea, where it started in the following councils, after the 300s under Constantine, and then further emperors and councils took this all up throughout the, the next century, was, was determining what was God-breathed Scripture. And they ended up tossing out all but these four Gospels. Now, what's interesting is that two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, are almost, not word for word, but in all of their content, are precisely what Mark was teaching, this Marconian Gospel. And they're finding that there was a, an original Gospel of Mark that dated into the late first century, upon which Luke and Matthew were based. And you start seeing that what the Church did was they gathered together scriptures that, oh, that, that, that uh, um, uh, laid out a literal history Gospel as opposed to the other Gospels. And uh, you find this throughout the New Testament, too. There's about six, seven books in the New Testament that are obvious. You can call them forgeries. You can call them uh, edits or rewrites. And people say, well, how do you know that? Well, it's because of the first thing you can go to is language. The linguistics used in these books did not, were not in use in the first century, sometimes not even the second century. It was the third century. It's like Pick up, um, say, uh, Tolkien's work, or Lord of the Rings, and read how that's written, or Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, John Carter of Mars. You read those books, and the English used there is very different. And those books were only written, you know, less than a little less than a century ago. Uh, Tolkien even sooner. And we used a different form of English. And so a uh, story being written now would have different English usage. Now, that's exactly what happened in some of these old biblical books, is they found that the cases for forgery or cases for, I'm writing under the name of, you know, the, the, the disciple Thomas, and yet it doesn't use language that was used in the day that Thomas would have lived in the first century. It uses language that's more indicative of the third and fourth century. That's by way of example. And so this was one of the first things that, that, that keyed in, not usually the average, the, the common reader. It would, it would tune in uh, these people who are scholars in this area, uh, historians, 
linguistics, and they say, wait a minute, the, the language doesn't even work here. So when does this really date to? And uh, uh, they'd have to date these things back as far as they could. And uh, I used to be an apologist for the New Testament and the Old Testament being absolutely accurate until I started to find more and more. When people say contradictions, it's sometimes an excuse, but you would find those contradictions. And when it came to the end times, which you're talking about, things that might look like they apply to today. And, and you know what? Maybe they do. Maybe this is all washed up, and maybe it's true. But all these gospel writers, all of these New Testament writers, Paul himself, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, believed they were in the end times already. And they were applying all those things to things going on in Rome, to things going on all around them. And, uh, and of course, John, writing probably the latest original book, you know, the book of Revelation, in uh, almost... Uh, what, 60 to 70 years after the time of Christ. So he was in his dotage as an old man on the Isle of Patmos under house arrest, and he had these visions and wrote about them. But there are also things about the book of Revelation that really proves that the book itself was written much later than that time. The language in it is much later. So it's almost like saying, I can look at these books and scientifically or mathematically or uh, by virtue of certain facts, be able to look at these things and say, um, it doesn't mesh with the story we've been told overall, because it's not the language of the day even to begin with. And then there's so many other things that, that tie into it. And so when I look at uh, the, 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 the doctrine of the end times, the teaching of eschatology, I find that all of those things were things that they, they explicitly expressed were going to happen within that first, you know, generation after the time of Jesus, and it didn't. And uh, so then what happened later in the Church is the Orthodox Church. It didn't become the Roman Catholic Church till the late 300s, uh, or the mid-300s, after Constantine made it the state religion. But that's when you really started seeing the Church Fathers starting to go in and make changes to things. It's like, here's a little for instance. Mary Magdalene. Uh, we've all heard the, uh, seen the movie or read the book, you know, The Da Vinci Code, where it says, well, Jesus, they think, may have been married to Mary Magdalene. And uh, the woman that, according to the Scripture, Jesus cast out demons, it cleansed her, that she was plagued by demons and was sick and ill. Now, what did the Church make her? The Church turned her into a prostitute, but never in any single Scripture do you find that she is referenced as a prostitute. But this is something the Church created, because they did not want to have the teachings of Mary upheld. Because after the time of Jesus' death, there are a couple of the, of the Gnostic Gospels, the uh, Apocryphal Gospels, which talk about Mary being the woman that Jesus appointed to be the great teacher in his leave. Once he was gone, she would take over. Book of Mattathias calls her the great teacher. And uh, uh, so you look at these stories of her, but it didn't jive with what the, the Orthodox Church wanted to accept as literalist, um, uh, literalist history, and it also did not jive with what they wanted to, to put forward in the Church, and that was that 
Uh, a woman shouldn't teach in the church. A woman should keep her head covered. A woman should go home and ask her husband if she has questions. There couldn't possibly be uh, a woman who could teach in the church. And also, uh, they wanted to, well, they had this doctrine of celibacy. And uh, how could a woman be married to Jesus at some point? And you look at all of this, and uh, you start piecing it together bit by bit by bit, to say there are great changes that took place in the early doctrines, not because it was a thing of faith, but because it was a thing of hierarchy and power. And so what the Church set up, the Orthodox Church, which won the argument, obviously, uh, they started establishing their hierarchy. That was the goal, establish the hierarchy, and the common people don't know anything. And then, <laughs> and then you have... Um, uh, all along through that time, not only did they change all these doctrines, the doctrines about the end times, the doctrines about all of this, uh, uh, the thing I just talked about about Mary, uh, they also did away with things like in the, the, the Gospel of uh, Philip, where it talks about how Jesus walked hand in hand with Mary the Magdalene along with his disciples, and he leaned over and kissed her on the and then there's a rip in the uh, in the document that picks up in the next sentence. Oh, what did he kiss her on? Uh, uh, did he kiss her lips? Did he kiss her hand? Did he kiss her on the neck? Was it a formal greeting, a customary thing? Or because he was walking with her hand in hand with his disciples, and his disciples were a little jealous of her that she was so close to Jesus. You know, we're your guys. It's it's kind of like you know you know when your guys in college were all frat boys, and one of the guys gets a girlfriend, and all of a sudden he disappears. Uh, I mean, uh, that's maybe a little trite, but as a way of example, but guys are like, hey, hey, we're the boys, you know, and they're seeing this go on. And Jesus said, I love Mary in a different way than I love you. And, uh, and so there's a little room for speculation there. But this is the kind of thing that you saw taking place when the, the hierarchy of the, the then, the Orthodox literalist, Church, which became the Roman Catholic Church, um, this is what they did to gain power over the thoughts and the minds of the people. Joe, does that that answer get to your the point of your question? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Good. Covered the, the only point I wanted to make is that there, there were other angles that I that approach it, and the one I'd like to mention is that I studied psychology. Okay, got a couple yeah. degrees in it. And I saw things that uh, they were trying to accomplish in the psychiatric field that uh, they couldn't do. In other words, they would use medication of all kinds they have today, tranquilizers, okay? And I used to watch patients getting shot up with all kinds of things. I saw shock therapy, and I'm wondering, wait a second, this person's got some problems, and, and they can't touch it with medication. So when you start talking about the soul, so there's something I always believe there was something deeper inside, and I thought I started thinking. I said I looked upon Jesus in, in one perspective as being a psychologist. Okay, even looking yeah. at him as a psychologist, that he's the world's best psychologist or psychiatrist there ever was, because he knew how to lift guilt off the shoulders of people when he'd say pray. Indeed, and he said and on lift. Uh, because most people that I saw that came into psychiatric institutions were guilt-ridden, okay? They had done something and were told, you're, you're no good, you're going to hell, you know? And nobody stuck, you know, if you go to a psychiatric hospital and you tell the doctor, well, yeah, I talk to him. I talk to God. I talk to him all the time. 
well, the first thing they're going to say is he, he hallucinates. Obviously, right, he's, right. You know, he needs more tranquilizers. And I just think that that's an important area that man should study more. You know, that you he know does what have I, a soul. What, and, I, what I think prayer is, prayer is, and don't anybody go too, too uh, bananas when I say this out there, prayer is a form. Did you know that the, the Roman Church is full of magical ceremonies that they took from the pagan mysteries? and incorporated it, just like they would incorporate December 25th, the birthday of Mithras, as the birthday of Jesus, just like they would take old uh, pagan groves, the Druid groves, and tear them down and build a cathedral. Um, You know, and you see imagery all over the walls, of of, uh, iconography. Uh, Just like they did with that, they took the idea of prayer, and prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is exactly what the definition of 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 uh, um, what, what what are the words I'm looking for? It's it's where you uh, visualize something, you manifest something. Uh, what is magic? Natural magic is the is the ability within those mystery circles to be able to perform magic out of nature by visualizing, by um, meditating, by uh, actualizing something. And this is what prayer, we don't think of prayer as being magic, but prayer is exactly what the mystery religions taught in Gnosticism as a way to attain magical, um, not power, that's not the word I'm looking for, uh, be able to manifest magic uh, in one of these many different ways. And uh, uh, so praying about something, when somebody prays, they are actually performing ancient mystical magic, uh, because they are putting out intent, they are putting out visualization, they are putting out actualization and manifestation. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and what did the Bible tell us? The Bible said, pray without ceasing, uh, pray always, uh, always. And what do we say to people when, when we talk to them about manifesting something in their lives? You can't just burn a candle and manifest something. You have to, you have to visualize it. You have to have. Well, you have to have faith. I mean, I so, think that that's a large part of it. They what speak you the are Bible, operating you know? in is going to work for you. Right. Say it again, Joe, because uh, I don't think Scotty heard your point there. Uh, like faith seems to be the important word that maybe he's missing. Like you can use all kinds of techniques in your communication with God, so to speak. And you mentioned prayer as maybe just a mode. And I don't, I don't look at, at a prayer as just a mode. To me, it's a genuine path way of communicating with God. And a lot of people don't see it that way. They don't believe in God at all. They say, you know, there's nothing out there. You know, and I just disagree with that because there, there is, when I just look at a, a little, look at your uh, pet, whether it be a dog or a cat, and you think how simple it is, but yet how complex it is. I mean, man knows nothing about the mind. He studies it in psychiatry. He knows nothing about mental illness, even though he claims he does. Okay, and I feel, my impression was, is that you're not going deep enough. Man has a soul, you know, and that's why I kind of cling on to the Old Testament, too. Now, you talk about the New, uh, the, the New Testament. you got to go back to the, to the Old Testament where it gets its foundation going to help people understand what's going on in the New Testament. And I think there was a lot of foul play. I mean, the Church interfered with a lot of the preachings from the Bible itself and twisted a lot of things around. But 
Yeah, the, heart, the meat of the matter is there if you take your time out and read it. I mean, it takes time, and it's like anything else. You have to go to the right church. But uh, I see your point, you know. Well, those are all great. Yeah, those are great points, Joe. Thank you so much for calling in. We just we're just overdue for a break here. We're talking with Scotty Roberts tonight. Um, we are uh, kind of a calling an audible here because our originally scheduled guest Jessica Adams uh, couldn't be on the program. We're still researching that, and we will get her rescheduled. So Scotty has graciously uh, accepted a one minute warning invitation to join us tonight, and we'll continue our conversation with him in just a moment. You know, when you listen to this program, you hear many interesting guests who discuss many interesting topics. Most of those guests have books, movies, or other work that support their ideas. And we've made it very easy for you to find that work. Just go to Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. Not only will you find the books and other work of our guests, but you'll help support this program at the same time. Again, it's Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. You'll also see links in the description of this episode that you can click on. We can only scratch the surface of many of these topics, and the real knowledge is what you'll find in the pages or frames of our guests' efforts. So click the link and browse, and hey, thanks for listening. Scotty, I want to go back to this discussion about Nostradamus, and we'll return to some of this biblical stuff as well. Um, but uh, we were talking about Nostradamus prior to Joe's phone call. And uh, you mentioned uh, that there is a way to interpret Nostradamus's predictions that you can apply to many, many different time frames. People had said that uh, Nostradamus was talking about Hitler, that he was talking about Napoleon, that he was talking about uh, Saddam Hussein. Um, that is kind of the problem here. But there are people that say, no, if you, if you do that, you're just misinterpreting the quatrains or the predictions, and therefore you're not really a Nostradamus scholar and you don't understand what you're reading. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I don't know enough about Nostradamus to speak to that intelligently, other than things I've heard. I don't know why. It's one of those topics that I just never delved too deeply into. Um, although I've seen a few things that say that there are overlaps, that there are things that that, that looks like, uh, that maybe might be something that matches, and then things that are far too coincidental, as uh, we mentioned earlier. And uh, um, he just, uh, his work, I think, was, I don't want to say it was pseudo-prophetic. That's not the word I'm looking for. It was maybe semi-prophetic. He was starting to, he got some gleanings into or things. quasi, quasi, maybe it's quasi-prophetic, quasi-prophetic. Quasi-quasi-prophetic. You and I know people who can predict things, right? Um, that we've seen them predict things. And so we know that that actually exists out there. Uh, the thing about uh, Nostradamus is his background. You know, he was an occultist. An occultist isn't a dirty word. doesn't mean satanic like some people think. It just means the hidden mysteries, the things that people don't know things about. Right. And, uh, and he was into hermeticism and, and occultism. And uh, um, he was somebody who uh, um, he started in medicine and moved away from medicine. And he went into the occult to uncover things that were mysteries to him. Um, uh, there's even evidence that suggests he, may, he remained a Catholic his whole life, um, and that um, 
he he opposed he he was deeply opposed to the reformation things like that right i know this about factoids of his life but he started beginning be, began to write all this stuff in this project uh he had this project of writing of a book of about uh mainly there were about a thousand french quatrains that he wrote if i've got the number right on that and it, uh, these were undated prophecies for which he's famous today. And uh, he didn't date them. He just said this and this and this and this and this. And that's where he left it. He gave no explanation. Uh, and so when you see, see things like he used the word hister, uh, and that's what people have, have interpreted as Hitler, because the surrounding elements in the quatrain right. uh, seem to fit Hitler. And that's Right there, I've just tapped the extent of my knowledge. On, <laughs> well, son, uh, it, was, it was pretty so. impressive. But tell me if, if you remember this any differently. Uh, Nostradamus seemed to be a rather unrecognized figure and rather unimportant for a very long time until, if I remember correctly, and maybe this was just a revival, but at some point during the 80s, there was a documentary about Nostradamus. And uh, at that point, it kind of brought this whole... Uh, topic back to the public consciousness, and it's been very popular ever since. Yeah, and you know, uh, that's that's really where you saw the resurgence, the 70s yeah. and the 80s. Yeah. You saw a lot of stuff. You, it you saw like, shows like it, uh, Leonard Nimoy's uh, In Search Of right. um, did did big things. on. They were in those, those kind of mysterious shows that everybody started to draw everybody in. And that's where it really gained momentum. And that's really... About the time I first started hearing about it, too. I have, uh, uh, I'm going to throw a question at you here, and hopefully it doesn't um, catch you off guard. Um, are you familiar with the Tajos Cave system? No. Okay. Uh, we we had a guest on the other night, um, Alex Kionetta, Kionetti, who uh, has done a lot of research on the Tajos Cave system in Ecuador. And uh, Eric uh, Von Daniken actually wrote an extensive, extensively about this cave system and the fact that uh, this cave system has some significantly uh, valuable treasures, including a metal library room uh, and some other, you know, very coveted items. Oh, I items. have heard of that. Yeah, yeah and um, I, I just wondered that. if, because if, I know that you've, you've uh, studied Van Daniken's work and extensively, and you've act, I think you actually had him as a guest at one of your events, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yeah, I thought so. And I just wondered if you had any insight as to those the cave system. We had, um, uh, Alex was a great guest. Uh, he he um, is Hispanic in, in, uh, in, um, uh, culturally, and therefore he has a bit of an accent, so it was a bit difficult to understand some of the things that he was telling us. And I just wonder if you had any insight as to what that was all about. I, I really don't. Uh, I wish I did, now that you mention it. And I have scant, vague memories of having heard about some of these things, but never really looking into them. You know, it's like um, uh, I was called and asked if I could be an expert to speak about the Bermuda Triangle, and I said, well, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know really. about the Bermuda Triangle, but I, I couldn't I couldn't dig into it deeply, you know, and, and stuff like that. And I do the same thing with Nostradamus. So I've I've focused my attentions in other areas. So 
Uh, I hate to be a, a killjoy. No, on that's that okay. One, but I was I just curious. I thought I thought with the with the Van Dana con- uh, connection, you might have a little more information about that because I had none. I wasn't even aware this cave system existed, frankly, before we had Alex on. Um, let's go back to the discussion about the Bible, and I want I want some straight answers from you here, sure. Scotty, because you've kind of you've Uh-oh. you've dismantled a lot of what a lot of people believe, and I know that you said you know. That's not your intention, certainly. Um, but right. for, from where you stand today, based on what you've learned and how and the path that you've traveled from going from, as you said, a born-again Christian in your early teens to where you are now, can, do you believe in God? Do you believe there is a God as the Christian Bible tells us there is? I believe that God exists. Um, I don't know what form anymore um, it's become a little more confusing to me. I know there are scriptures that we used to quote when I was back in my seminary days. You know, God is not the author of confusion, but of a sound mind. So I would think, okay, if I'm having a lot of confusion on these issues over the years about God and who God is, maybe it's just me. And uh, maybe I need to get a little more grounded. And so I kept researching. I kept studying. Uh, one thing I found in the writing of some of my books, I remember sitting in my chair one night in the middle of the night as I was writing something about God. And uh, I kind of spun slowly looking at the, the dead ceiling fan on the, on the ceiling and thinking, I, these are the things that drive men mad uh, because we contemplate and we try to make all the square pegs fit into all the round holes. And uh, um, sometimes you just can't, you can't get it to happen. And uh, I remember speaking to an old pastor friend of mine, and I was I was really spilling my guts, saying, I'm really a little lost in this stuff. I don't know if I've hit on something. I said, either God is much bigger than we ever comprehended that he is, or perhaps God is much smaller than we think he is. And uh, I said, maybe he didn't exist the way we think he does at all. Maybe he's more, I started adopting this approach that was like, um, the, uh, I said, I've become a practical deist. Uh, you know, most of like our founding fathers were deists. They were the ones that believed that, you know, God kind of put everything in motion, wound up the clock, and then set the clock on the shelf and walked off. And, uh, you know, for uh, no better way to explain it quickly. And so I started thinking, is God intricately involved? Maybe he does exist. Um, why does the God, I would ask myself questions, why does the God of the Old Testament seem so inconsistent with the message of the God of the New Testament? And, of course, we had explanations for that. Dispensationalism, uh, covenants with God, uh, dispensations would be like, uh, or these different covenants with man. It's like God had a, a covenant with Adam. Then along came Abraham. There was the Abrahamic covenant, which changed things. Then there was the Davidic covenant. Then there was, you know, eventually worked its way up to the, uh, uh, the New Testament covenant. And that's the, the covenant that ushered in a whole new age uh, when it comes to the spirit, spirituality and the way God deals with mankind. And uh, kind of the way I saw it written once many, many years ago. They said, God, if you will, and, you know, far be it for me, this author said, to psychoanalyze God. He said, but if you take a look at God... He says, maybe God is like a parent who is learning how to deal with his creation. And he said, because he started out this way, very firm, 
and it's this, and it's the law, and it's all of these things. But those things gradually, each time there was a new covenant, a new dispensation, it's like it was a stair—we called it stair-step dispensationalism when I was in seminary. It means the next step you take up, you get a little further away from the source, up and over, up and over, up and over, up the stairway. And what it was, was the way this author put it, was maybe God is learning how to deal with a creation, because according to Scripture— when he created mankind, he created something that n- he had never, ever created before. Even as the all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful God, he created a creation that could tell him no, because he imbued them with free will. And so it was like, now this is the way I've heard this explained. Uh, is God like a person in the sense that, you know, if we're created in his image, what's the image? Uh, is the image something where... God has to learn, like humans, how to deal with his children, so to speak. Uh, But then again, you get in the New Testament, you find that God is still that God that says, I could wipe any of you out at any moment's notice, and it's not your business because you are mine. I own you. You're my creation. You're my things that I created. So I can do away with you and talk it all out of existence in in a breath, and you have no power to stop me or to hold my hand. And uh, um, so this was this picture, I mean, even as late as the 1700s, you know, they were listening to like sermons of John Wycliffe, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And this was his big thing. It was a a fear-based respect for God uh, rather than the love of God. I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but when I was talking uh, uh, just the last two nights, on my own show, I was talking about the persecutions of the Gnostics, how the Roman Church tried to absolutely obliterate, and basically they succeeded, uh, Gnostic mysticism, and all the things that they went through to accomplish this end. All of the, There were black-robed monks that would wander the countryside, and they would go to Gnostic shrines and Gnostic Christians, they would go to those shrines, and they would bludgeon and beat these people. They would kill them. They would burn them. This is pre-Inquisition stuff. And they would do this to eradicate a branch of Christianity. And there was one of these bishops from within the Gnostic Mysteries that wrote, uh, um, I don't know which, which I think he wrote uh, uh, Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome and also the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And he wrote him, and he said, why are you doing this to us? Can we not all achieve the same end of knowing God? Isn't the goal to know God, to understand God, to love God, uh, to have love in our lives, and yet you are systematically out uh, killing people who don't believe the way you believe? And this was not just isolated incidents. This This was so widespread, they wiped out Gnosticism. And the only way we even know of it anymore is, again, the discoveries in the 40s of the writings that had been squirreled away. And so you start looking at this. I I look at uh, tonight, I talked about Hypatia of Alexandria. Uh, She was this wonderful, remarkable woman. Uh, In the late 300s, she taught at the Library of Alexandria and the school there and and, uh, uh, 
uh, Theos was her father, one of the big mathematicians. And she was a mathematician, a philosopher. Uh, she was all of these things, and yet uh, uh, she, the, the Cyril, uh, the Archbishop of Alexandria, where she lived, uh, was thoroughly against her because she was pagan. She was not a Christian, and she promoted thinking and free thinking, but was pagan. And so what happens, they eventually, uh, mobs of Christians stopped her chariot in the street, pulled her from her chariot, flayed her alive, broke every bone in her body, and then took the quivering mess that was left and burned it, and uh, uh, burned her at the stake. And uh, they did this to what? Promote the love of God? No, it was to eliminate the opposition right. to what they were trying to do, and they won the battle. And so, you know, you start looking at this and you say, yes, there were atrocities, there's atrocities everywhere. I look at the Westboro Baptist Church in Texas, and I say, that's an atrocity right there. That's a blight on Christianity. But uh, is that what Jesus taught? And so you can go back and start finding the original Jesus, the historical Jesus, inside the mysteries, inside the Roman Catholic literalist history. And you can say, I believe Jesus existed. Um, I believe he did a lot of the things they said he did, but I also believe that he was someone who was linked deeply into the Gnostic mysteries. Uh, as a matter of fact, you take the, one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Judas, which is one of those that was cast out of the accepted Gospels under the councils. And uh, uh, the, the Gospel of Judas says, paints a very different story of Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. It says in this book that Judas was the closest friend to Jesus, and that Jesus took him aside and said, you are the one who gets it. You understand the mysteries, he told them. And because you do, I'm going to ask something very difficult of you. I need you to go through the motions of betraying me. And uh, Judas resisted this, and yet he still followed through. And uh, uh, there was a purpose behind it, in other words. And so all of this stuff um, uh, starts to add up to a picture of things that were a little different than what we were taught they were. And uh, how many of these old patriarchs of the faith were created for the purpose of of expressly establishing the hierarchy in the church? And so um, there you go. I probably drifted. I drifted way off the <laughs> but uh, it, it's okay. No, this is all great stuff. Um, I did want to point out something though. You made a reference to Alex P. Keaton earlier in the program. I'm not sure anybody remembers who Alex P. Keaton was. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, I sometimes forget the name of the show. Uh, it was Family um, Ties. Family Ties, right. Yeah. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Big, Fox. You know, TV series. Not only Michael J. Kid. Fox, but Courtney Cox made her debut there. Uh, she was uh, yes. fir first on a uh, uh, music video, Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark, I believe. And then she was cast as Alex P. Keaton's girlfriend on... Um, on the television show right. Family Ties, yeah. So that's 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 pretty cool too. So I, you know, you know, as you as you spin, you know, talk about this stuff and kind of create a web of what's really more confusing than anything else. And I think that's the nature of this. It's just confusing. Um, is it possible that 
you know, the spiritual part of God and Jesus and these and these spiritual ideas exist as they are. And yet the the word of God, which is the Bible, but it's it's it maybe the word of God, but it's also the word of God through the hands of man uh, could be flawed in its delivery. I, I think so. Um, I think that there were many things that were um, it takes faith to believe that God maintained the integrity of his spoken word or his inspired word. Um, but what breaks down that faith is when you start looking through it all and saying, it's not just a thing of accepting whether or not it's true it's a, and whether or not I want to believe or choose to believe it. It's a thing of digging through everything. You right, start looking right, at the right. history and find it's different than what I was taught. Yeah, right. Let's um, um, bef- and, Before and, you continue, let's jump so, to our phone lines. I don't like to keep people on hold too long. This is sure. Amy calling from North Carolina. Hey, Amy, welcome to the program. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Doing great, thanks. What's on your mind? Um, not too much. Just calling in to say hello. Oh, do you have a question for Scotty? Oh, you just wanted to say hi? Well, we we appreciate you calling in and saying hi, too. (laughs) That's always always fun, for sure. Um, Did you, were you the one that asked in our chat room about the gods that predated the Christian God? Or was that someone else? That was someone else. That was someone else. Okay. Um, Well, I appreciate you calling in from North Carolina, Amy, and uh, certainly appreciate you listening and being in part of the chat room. Love having you there. Thank you. It's kind of fun to do this once in a while, isn't it, Scotty? Oh yeah, it is. I love doing this. You yeah. know, it's it's in a way this is kind of like uh, just saying, "Hey, let's go meet for a beer," and you sit down and you just start talking. Speaking of meeting for a beer, you and I have been doing a somewhat uh, semi-regular program called Booze, Brews, and Bros. We do that on occasional Friday nights. People should uh, keep an eye out for that because we kind of take this approach. We just throw topics up, and if they stick on the wall, we start talking about them. You know, um, But I did want to ask you in the couple minutes we have left, there have been recent headlines. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily headlines, but certainly news reports and stories about various things that uh, are uh, reported to be um, signs that we are entering what may be the end times. And I know I know that there are various periods throughout history where the same thing is said. But recently there was a red calf born in Israel. Uh, things like that that keep popping up in the news. Do you see anything that indicates to you that we might be on the precipice of what are called the end times? Well, you know, there were things that when I was a kid in high school, in youth group, in the church, that we would look at things and we'd say, our youth pastor would be speaking to the kids, and he says, you know, everything looks right now. There's all this. And mind you, we didn't have the technology back in the—I was in high school in the mid-'70s to the end of the 70s, and we did not have the technology. We didn't even have cell phones. I, I tell my kids that, and they're just like a, like struck into silence. You can't be, you can't be <laughs> serious. I know, right? Uh, you know, did you have movies when you were a kid? Uh, so— um, but I, our youth pastor always used to say this thing. He says, everything looks good now. He says, but God could always reshuffle the deck, he would tell us. And that was kind of the the explanation of how to get around things. Now, I look at the current world stage today. Now, there are some things that are supposed to take place 
in prophetic literature in the Bible that say this and this and this should happen. Now, I'm seeing things getting closer, not necessarily the exact direct fulfillment, but one of them, as Joe, the first caller, mentioned, he talked about how um, Israel re-entered the land. There was a prophecy that said when Israel is re-established as a state, that it would be the last generation before the time of the second coming of Christ. Then Armageddon and all of these things, what we would call the rapture, and then the tribulation for seven years, and then the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ after the battle of Armageddon. All of these things were things that we looked at in the prophecies. Now, one thing that was uh, always very clear was that uh, Israel would be the focal point uh, during the seven years of tribulation and during the Battle of Armageddon, the war to end all wars, where Christ would come back on a mighty steed out of the clouds. And uh, there was all this picturesque language about it. And uh, um, you look at Israel today. It talks about in the Bible how they, they talk about Gog from Magog and all of these kind of poetic types of uh, names that don't mean anything, really. But they talked about all these leaders from the north and the northeast that would all ally together and converge on Israel, and that when this happened, this is when God would come back. Uh, but leading up to that, was there was something that was supposed to happen. About three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, uh, they were supposed to reestablish and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Now, they say, your purists will say, what sits on the spot where the temple is supposed to exi have existed? Well, the Dome of the Rock, the Mosque of Omar in Jerusalem, where you have the Wailing Wall, which is part of, of uh, uh, Herod the Great's uh, temple walls that whole temple compound. And so they thought, well, you're going to have to get rid of that in order for uh, there to be a temple built there. Now you look at things as simple as President Trump uh, recognizing the reopening of uh, the Israeli uh, um, consulate in, uh, in Jerusalem, where it's been in Tel Aviv all along, out on the coast, because Jerusalem was the old capital. And so you see something like that, and I saw that happen. I go, hmm, that's right. interesting, because that's a step toward things. Then you see uh, what's going on in Israel. Look at everybody around Israel wants Israel dead and wiped off the map. Uh, the Palestinian Charter states in its charter, point blank, I've read it, I've looked at it, I've talked about it, it states that they are, that the Palestinian uh, Authority is for the annihilation of all Jews in Israel and worldwide. And so you start looking at that and you say, there's, there's positioning that's already been taking place yeah. over the last, what, 70 years, 75 years, since the establishment of the state of Israel. So you look at that. Um, there is something in prophetic books that say all the people, all the Jews living in Israel would be Jews who could name their tribe. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I don't know what the state of current Jewry is in Israel, but most of your descendants of Judaism in Israel are European Jews. Um, and so the big question is, are they actually the diaspora, the great 
uh, uh, spreading out of Jews uh, back after the destruction of Jerusalem by Romans 70 A.D. Uh, so is this who they are? Can they name their tribe? Are they truly Jews by the biblical definition of Jews, or are they Jews by politic and by religion? And so there is the, my own grandfather, my mom's stepfather. He married my grandmother after World War II, and my mom was a little kid. He adopted my mom. He was Hungarian Jew. So I grew up in a family of Jews. My mom and my brother, sister, and me, we were the four goy in a huge Jewish family. And, uh, you know, so I grew up with all the all the Yiddishisms. You know, we used to go visit <laughs> great-grandmother, who would, I'd visit her in the old home and the Jewish uh, nursing home. She was in her 90s, and Oh, Scotty, she'd say, she'd say, uh, oh, from my lips to God's ears, oh, Meshuk, come here, let me, you know, and all of that. It was all the, the, the Jewishisms that I grew up with my family. And, uh, but we were still the outsiders as well. Uh, but all of that to say there's all uh, Jewish today, Hungarian Jew. Is that the same as ancient Israelite Jew? Um, <clears throat> it's hard to tell. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to know. But there, there's some of the little things I look at in prophecy to say, are there things happening today? Right. Uh, the political scheme is there. Yeah. Uh, people want to call, we've wanted to call Hitler the Antichrist, Stalin the Antichrist, Bin Laden the Antichrist, right. Trump the Antichrist. Right. You hear all this, but acor- according to the Bible, the Antichrist is going to be somebody who rises up out of Judaism and can name his family and his tribe. Right. Uh, uh, Trump isn't Jewish. Neither was Stalin. Right. So uh, there you go. All right. Well, Scotty, we're out of time here. Let people know where they can uh, watch uh, your show, listen to what sure. you've got going on, you know, check out your work. Come on over to my YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com slash Mr. All spelled out, Mr. Scotty Roberts. And all my shows I do, they're all archived there. You can just start scrolling backwards and seeing this whole series I've been doing and other things. So you can find me there, and you can find me at my website, scottallenroberts.com. Perfect, and I look forward to our next gathering for booze, uh, booze, bros, and uh, uh, bro, booze, bros, and bu- bros. I can't even say it, but I'm looking booze, forward to it booze. nonetheless. Yeah, <laughs> and I actually say it a lot better after we've had a few brews, so that does yeah, help. Yeah, so do I. There's some things I also stumble on after a few brews. So. <laughs> Scotty, thanks for my thank, share. Thanks for being with us tonight. Appreciate it very much. Jimmy, thanks for having me. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.